This is Ashley from Threshold to Ascension Radio, coming to you on Thursday, February 7th, 2019. Last week, both BBS and myself experienced a few technical glitches, so we replayed an earlier interview with Mary Rodwell. Therefore, tonight, we are going to air the episode that was originally scheduled for last week. My guest on this show is Paul Richardson, founder of HavenEarth.org, which is dedicated to sustainable construction and supporting living in community. Paul and his collaborator, Alosha of BioVita.co, arrived in the U.S. this week and will be discussing projects and presenting talks in California, Ashland, Tucson, and Taos, to name a few locations. You can find their schedule and a link to more information on the Threshold to Ascension Radio show page on BBS Radio. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation, which we will now play in its entirety. Mahalo for listening in. Have a fantastic week and take care of yourselves. Aloha, everyone. This is Ashley from GoldenGoddesses.org, and welcome to the Thursday, January 31st, 2019 episode of Threshold to Ascension Radio. The first month of 2019 is coming to an end, and what an amazing ride it's been. Many of us are feeling like the dreams that we've been carrying in our hearts for so long are finally beginning to germinate and come into fruition. And for others, it feels like there's still a little bit of spiritual quicksand that we're letting go of. And so I encourage each and every one of you to focus in on truly what brings your heart joy and allow that to be your intention for anchoring your dreams into your reality in 2019 for this great unfolding, even as the chaos of governments, whether it's Brexit in the UK where the shutdown here in the U.S., all of that takes place around you. You are the calmness in the center of that when you allow yourself to be in your heart. So let's start there. Let's take a moment to center ourselves in our heart. Unless you're driving, close your eyes and just bring your consciousness down into your heart. It might help to actually place your hand on your heart to assist you with connecting with the core of your being. And as you do that, be aware of your breath going in and out of your being and breathe in. Breathe that breath down your body all the way down into your toes. And when you exhale, just set the intention you're releasing all energy that no longer serves you. 
On your next natural in-breath, breathe at your own pace. Set the intention you're breathing in the divine light of source. You're truly honoring yourself by filling every aspect of your being. From the tips of your toes to the tips of your fingertips to the top of your head, every aspect of your being with that divine light of source. And when you exhale, just let go of energy you're carrying from your situation in 3D, any duality dramas that have been playing out. Just let that go. And again, breathing at your own pace on your next in-breath, breathing in the divine light of source and the intention of connecting to your own magnificent I am presence. Imagine what it feels like to be the light being that you are. And as you exhale, letting go of any doubt, any thinking small, as you breathe in the truth of the light being that you are. And just breathe that for three breaths. Breathing in, connecting to the very cell of your being, the core of your being, to the light being that you are. Finding that sense of being centered and being present now. Now, as you breathe in the golden light of source, as you exhale and breathe out, imagine a golden orb of light is surrounding your being. As you claim sovereignty over your own energetic field, sealing off your energy to all but your own divine light, divine love, and divine truth. As every photon in that orb of light around you pulses at the frequency of the divine light being that you are. And just be in that frequency. And using this feel as a manifestation, as a connection, a communication to the source that you are. Take a moment in your heart to envision your dream manifesting in your 3D reality this year. Without any worrying about how it's going to happen, just allow that vision, that passion of your heart to feel what it feels like to be living that in your 3D reality. And breathe that through every cell of your being for the next three breaths. Breathing what it feels like to embody to live in the timeline where your heart's dream is your reality. And surrender the how or the when to source and your I am presence. This is a beautiful practice to do just for a few moments every day, perhaps when you first wake up in the morning. To do this centering and breathe your dream into your reality. And if your mental body asks, but how or when, surrender that to source and your I am presence. And take a deep breath, connecting from your cosmic gateway down through the higher gateways, down through your crown, through your body 
out through your root chakra, through the grounding cords in your feet, and anchor this dream into the core of Mother Gaia. Asking Mother Gaia to assist you in manifesting this dream into your reality. When you're ready, bring it back in your heart and slowly and gently open your eyes. I look forward to hearing from you regarding the unfolding of your dream into your reality. My guest tonight is an individual who has done just that, begun to take his dreams and brought them into reality. You may remember Paul from the August 9th interview when he shared with us his unfolding passion and the beginning of his switch from corporate into his living his dreams. Paul is the architect and founder of Haven Earth Center, and his dreams are going even bigger now. He studied architecture in London in the UK. He graduated in 2002 with a personal focus on ecological, holistic design and natural materials, studying under prominent names in the field. And as he went on his professional career, creating some quite elaborate penthouses, large structures. But his passion always remained with the ecological, sustainable, balanced living. And just recently, following on on his recent spiritual wake-up call that's expanding, Paul's taken that big plunge leaving the corporate world to fully walk his path through collaborations international. He has projects going on in Russia, the U.S., Turkey, and Africa. So it's a big step. And Paul, it's such an honor to have you back on the show to talk about what's unfolding. Welcome, Paul, to the show. Hi, Ashley. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thank you. And thanks for the nice introduction and everything. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you. Now, in August of last year, when you were on the show, you were just kind of beginning to get ready to go to Turkey for this big project. And I'm sure that the listeners are interested in how that unfolded and an update on what happened with that project. Just quickly, thanks for that little meditation. It was <laughs> nice. Just everything's so busy running around and everything right now. So nice yes. to ground. Thank you for that. The last time we spoke, I think we were trying to organize a workshop at that time to get people to come and build with us the project. And the design, I wasn't quite sure about it. There was something that I just wasn't sure about. And anyway, the, the whole workshop thing, it didn't work out. We just didn't have much exposure at that time. We didn't really have any social media stuff. And I was more just kind of going on luck at that point, I think. Then ended up going to Russia for the second time and ended up kind of getting like a processing and an integrating of a lot of things that had been coming up over the previous year. And, and somehow, I don't know if I'd had the time to really integrate these things. I came back to London. I was planning to go to Turkey a couple of weeks later. I was still in my corporate life, like two weeks a month coming back, project in Cairo and different stuff for the corporate job. And I was doing a meditation where I always meditate on this place in London. It's called Primrose Hill. It's an ancient Druid mound, actually. Not many people know, but it's thousands year old. And I always go there when I first get to London because it's a city and I just have to ground into nature, you know, otherwise you're, <laughs> your whole week is just a nightmare. And I just got this kind of download inspiration and I sat on the hill and it had like this up on the hill and it views out and over London, you know, 
I've had some quite amazing visions and stuff sitting there. I just started getting this vision of what the project should be, and it was different from what it was, you know. Ah. So I started sketching, and then it was getting dark, so I turned my phone on, and I was just sitting there for about three or four hours using my coffee cup mug as a circle template and different <laughs> things. However, I had to, and uh, got this whole thing down on paper, including how the, the water systems were going to recycle and the wastewater was going to come and do this and how it was going to connect to feed the plants in the garden and how, et cetera, et cetera. Very informed, very detailed information. And so like the next day I told him, I says, we're changing the design. <laughs> it's going to be like this. And I was just so sure about it. I made a model with clay and literally 10 days after I made the model, we were building it. Wow. And it was such just a really powerful experience to show you, you know, like, we have ideas from maybe your past or education or, or limitations of what we think we can do, all kinds of things. But kind of letting go and being in enough space of trust to just let it flow yes. was really like such a profound thing. And, and it was my experience in Russia that I give credit to that. Um, I had this amazing fire massage. Oh, and uh, Fire massage? Yeah. The listeners are going, wait, what? I've heard of a hot stone massage. What's a fire massage? It's literally they set you on fire. You're on a massage table and they put towels over you and then they pour fuel on it. Right. And then set you on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and the fire massages you or they're massaging you no, as you're I on mean, fire or? Yeah, I mean, it's not even the massage, really. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a translation, I guess. Right, from okay. She learned it in China, and she's very kind of magical. If you've got a second, I'll tell you a really quick story about oh, absolutely. it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure the listeners are intrigued, because I know <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, it was at this place in southern Russia, um, where we're getting involved in making this big eco settlement. The gentleman who's envisioning and, and manifesting this vision, which is very much in alignment with our own, he has a little, like a spa in the town there. We went there, it was one of the last nights, we stayed there for about 10 days in the town, at his place actually. One night we got told you should go get this fire massage, you know, the woman that was part of the group that we were teaming up with for this project, she says, you have to go, it was like mind-blowing. So we were like, okay. It was our last night before we left, and right. the next night, so Alosha and myself both went. Of course, Alosha probably videoed it and showed it to his <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that savvy, and really, I'm just having my own experience most of the time, so... When I went into the space to this to happen, this cat came in with me. And it was like this upstairs space outside with outside stairs. Uh -huh. And the cat came in with me. And the lady who was showing me in, she says, oh, that's strange. The cat never, ever comes in here. But it followed me in anyway. Right. And so we were talking and she was translating and different stuff. And then she left and the cat left with her. And then um, I got prepared and got on the massage table. And then the cat came back in. Right. And you know with the little circle hole where you put your uh -huh. face through the table? Yeah. Below there, there was this little stool, and the cat came and lay on that stool below my face. The lady says, the cat's holding space right now. And then she did the whole fire massage, the cat stayed there. <laughs> really, I was in tears afterwards. And how long does the burning part they of it do, last? Well, they put, like, obviously, like, wet towels on you, and then they right. put other towels and put fuel on. Right, right. You have to give a signal, obviously, it's getting too hot. Right. And what it does is apparently the flames, they show where the blocks are on your energy. Right. I'm, I and the way it turns and different stuff. And she and the can colors read it. And the she reads it. And it lasts 45 minutes, I would say. Wow. They take it off and then she changes the top towels and puts a new one. And, and so you had a release 
Uh, Were you able to get out of your head? Did it take a few moments to do that? Or had you already prepared so that you were already centered? Yeah, I mean, I was very centered there. Every morning, we were, Losha and me were going down to this river, which came down straight from mm-hmm. the mountain, this rushing river from the icy Caucasus mountains. We'd go swimming there, you know, get stripped, get yeah. in there for 20 seconds and meditate in the morning. And we're eating really well at the spa. So it was very generally healthy mm-hmm. and great experience. The Russian culture is just really has such a place in my heart. Like I have such respect for the culture and the energy yeah. of that country. And I wish more people could understand that. Like the quality has, you know, it hasn't been lost by the westernization and, and consumerism and all that. It's been somehow they've kept that core of, I don't know, like how to be with each other, yeah. you know, what is acceptable, what is what is normal, how to be respectful and also honoring the spiritual side as well. They're very much like a deep, deep culture in that way too. I don't know if you had this experience growing up in the UK, but I know for here in the United States, at least in my generation, right? You know, Russia was quote unquote, the enemy. And so all of the brainwashing. And again, I've shared before to the listeners, my experience in Hungary and Czechoslovakia in the early 80s woke me up to how much programming there is done to us in our education system here in the U.S. to make enemies because what I experienced there was nothing like what I had been taught in school. And I think you're saying the same thing about Russia and other countries on the planet is understanding there is hidden agendas in so many things. I think one of the things that you were fascinated by was the expansiveness of sustainability and community living in Russia as well do you want to since we're on the topic of russia do you want to go into that a little bit yeah russia i think has definitely been you know i've worked worked in kazakhstan and azerbaijan and traveled in and worked in them areas for you know seven eight years so i'm not totally unfamiliar with russian culture because they were part of the ex-soviet union right and russian culture is part of their culture too but yeah there's something about the motherland itself and in russia like the heart of russia i think that has something special in there. There's a Gardeners Association in Russia. There's 40 million members. Mm. No, 50 million members and 140 million population. Right. So like that tells you people take their life in their hands. They're quite self-reliant. 60-year-old Russian women building her house or something, you know, yeah. that's the kind of people they are. And yeah. no bullshit, <laughs> you know, like you can't go in there like thinking you know everything and just talking the talk. so your experience in russia unfolded a lot of openings and the fire ceremony and things brought you into reworking the project for turkey for those of you that are listening on bbs radio when you go to the youtube channel you'll see the videos that we're talking about and i'll have a link in the information of the episode in bbs so you can see the images paul was talking about the project in turkey and i love how this is a 30-day echo design it's quite a comprehensive project but do you want to speak a little bit to the updates and what you learned because we had talked to you before you went to build yeah yeah exactly it was such a great experience working there with with the guys in turkey and you know kind of seeing it come together and and the local people and uh, all these local guys a lot of them were related you know family guys in the village you know we found a we found a tree and we and we brought it into the home and used that as a central kind of column which supported the roof and this was all stuff that I designed uh, but it all just started to kind of show up everything we needed these beautiful cedar reclaimed tree logs that we use for the oh, roof stunning 
and all on a great budget. I think he paid around twenty thousand dollars for everything, and that's with custom windows and. And are you saying twenty thousand US? Just so yeah. the audience has a frame of mind, okay? Yeah, in terms of materials, you know. Uh, and it was how large? Yeah, I mean, I think it's about seven hundred square feet. I would say. Okay. To seven fifty. All right. These kind of circular spaces, they just they have this sense of volume as well. It seems much bigger than that when I look at the pictures. Yeah, well, that central space is about seven meters diameter. Okay. Like the interior space itself. Mm-hmm. And then we have like a little room attached on the back, which is like a little lounge chill space with the opening in the roof, which is a really nice thing about the dorms is that you get this sense of being in the room and to have this opening of light coming through the top. It, it has a spiritual quality other than just a big pane of glass that's looking out at, you know, your garden or something. It was just really nice to kind of see Jengis as well, the owner, from the underground room we did earlier in the year, not part of the 30 days. That was him. He wants us a cold storage for because it's hot in Turkey, just for right. his food and stuff. But, you know, he was very courageous and just understood you know what needed to be done he understood the principles of what we were doing and you know he was very much involved in kind of organizing things as well I tried to let go as much as I could because you know I can do it that's not the issue the issue is teaching other people to do it that's right that's the key is giving him that card that when I leave he knows how to do it and he's actually now he's part of a haven earth in Turkey oh that's so he's beautiful gonna, he's starting yeah. to kind of join the family yeah, he's going to kind of run this as a permaculture farm. And we looked at land close to there to build a training center. And it's a good time to buy in Turkey because the dollar is very strong against the Turkish lira. Right. Um, which is some ways good for even for the people there in some respects because it does encourage more people to come there and invest money. So some, some changes can happen. And hopefully in a positive way, there seems to be a growing interest in natural building there there's a couple of different permaculture things starting up in Bodrum area itself so you know he's really looking forward he started connecting with a lot of people there they want to come see the project yeah and it was just really nice because I've built a lot of structures as you know mm-hmm. a lot of standard construction wood construction in the United States or overseas big hotels and different things so this in in a sense is not a necessarily a big project or anything like that but it's kind of new what we're doing and this is quite a unique house it's not like we're just copying from somebody else so we you know it was a process to see it growing from the model and we're really happy with it how it came out in the end and so from the beginning like you talk about your diy 30-day echo design just to give the listeners perspective what actually was accomplished in those 30 days the underground was already done Right. The biggest dome that you see there, that uh-huh. sits on top of the underground room. So everything kind of went out from there. And then we laid out, we had the first day, we laid out the um, the compasses, set the compasses in the middle. And then we um, created the circles for the for where the location of the spaces and the walls were going to go. And then the same day, we started digging out this the foundation trench. Next day, we finished the trench, started the bagging. And then literally we had about eight or nine guys, girls, and... Um, a couple of children. <laughs> yeah, little kids. Which is beautiful. <laughs> a, a pregnant mama. She was um, like obviously her husband and her sister and her sister's husband and their cousin. <laughs> right. They were all working there. So they have like they make the tea and, mm-hmm. and do the lunch and we'd... Just as nice. It was, uh, you know, I've worked on a lot of building sites. It's uh, not usually like that, you know, like this family 
I mean, at some points, especially as you get higher, when you're building, you know, we have to make sure that the children are well away from the structure. Right. Right. We wouldn't let the kids climb up onto the second floor because there's no safety barriers. Yeah. I was just very paranoid in a way about safety. This is really, it became my big concern because you are building up quite high. How high is the pinnacle of the, the apex of the dome? Yeah, of the big one off the ground, but then it's also on a hill, so it just feels higher as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I think it's two levels, so 20 feet to the top. Yeah. These chairs. So I mean, you're standing on that wall and <laughs> stomping. You're, <feeling> bad, <laughs> you're, you're stomping. Your your legs start to wobble a little bit. And <laughs> now, like, at the end of that 30 day period, mm-hmm. how far was it completed? Yeah. The intention is to close the house mm-hmm. so it's secure, basically, so it's weathertight. So we got the windows; they were installed. Something that you know, the guy came, he measured, and then he went and made them. And then once we put some plaster on the wall he came and installed them door we have was getting made custom made and Cengiz's partner she painted it she's an artist it's beautiful Um, so all these things yeah were kind of going on in the in the sidelines but you know the limitations the the super adobe technique is that you can only build so many rows a day right and because obviously it has to cure it has to harden but it has a little bit of a a 10 percent of cement in there you could probably build it faster really but and you know you could add another five guys or something like that but it's kind of dictates itself how fast mm-hmm. you can build so it gives it a nice pace actually it gives you a nice goal that's manageable every day we had two little teams like two teams who would be bagging a couple of guys who would be just mixing the mix ready right and then that was just the process there was no reconstruction noises and drills and saws. i mean a little bit when we did uh, like the roof and stuff but but generally, it's quite playful, actually. The kids are kind of getting playing in the clay and everything like that. That's where we intend to go. And we're planning to go back in maybe April or May and do a workshop for interior finishes. Right. Um, so basically, the structure itself was finished and all of the adobe areas you put on the outside. And then you mentioned that the rainy season was coming in Turkey. Yeah. And so that also meant. But it's pretty much... Would you say 80, 90% as a structure complete? I'm not talking about the inside furnishing. I want to put a couple of little eyebrow touches across the doors, entry door. Mm -hmm. I was going to go back at Christmas, but um, he ended up taking some work just because he's supporting building this himself. (laughs) Um, And he had a year off doing this. But I think we'll go back and do all that. But I think realistically in 30 days, if you're organized, uh, like I was recording every day video lessons. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm creating now, um, I have a friend who's helping me with it, put together a video to uh, show people how to build this house, but also giving them all the guidelines of, you know, how to design their own, just giving people guidance on how to find the land, what are the things to do, what not to do. Mm-hmm. Because I've got a lot of experience with building and and also went through this process and I was very conscious of documenting it. And um, so it could be used and hopefully in about a month or two, I'll bring that out. Fantastic. And I know on your beautiful Haven Earth Instagram, you were showing pictures as it went along as well. With this particular project, what do you feel from a technique perspective was your greatest aha learning takeaway? Mm, I definitely think it would be the versatility of this material, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, regular architecture is square generally because the materials are manufactured square everything works like that if you want to do something curved it's much more expensive right it's actually much more skilled 
because you have to get people who can layer wood or who can layer all different things. And I've done projects like this, but they're normally very expensive homes, you know, with mm -hmm. circular space. But to be able to play with circles and play with curves and, and make it into a building that really feels like a real home, not just kind of emergency shelter. Right. To give it that sense, you know, have some wood. We put this nice fireplace and it's a three-sided fireplace, one on the outside and one in the interior and then upstairs on the balcony, on the terrace, another oh, one. beautiful. But they're all isolated, so you don't get, you know, yeah. any cold coming across. Yeah, that was a nice thing. So I think what was really nice was that I gained that sense of, okay, you know, like in my head and on paper, I can do that. I can create lots of things. We all can. Right. But how to implement that in a successful way, I think really was a credit to just putting the time and the energy into making sure and caring about planning it and designing it right. Um, mm. Because I think we're too easy to start, too easy to just, you know, start digging a hole without, we do some thinking and we're like, okay, this is what I want. You find the details of how to do that and, and you build it. And then by the time you got halfway through it, you're like, oh, why didn't I do that? And why didn't I add that on there? That would have been, you know, and exactly. but instead to really understand and learn that process of being with your thoughts about the space you want to live in and how to create that instead of letting your limitations with what you think you can build determine the kind of house you're going to live in. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. And then from a spiritual perspective, I and mean, one of the, the biggest takeaways from our first interview, there was many, but you know, when I talked about filling the bags with dirt and you very lovingly and kindly asked me to reconsider using, filling it with earth, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really connected with mother Gaia, but that was a beautiful aha moment for me. Mm. And just the feeling, you know, if you look at this beautiful image, when you, well, those of you that are listening on the radio show, when you have a chance to look at the YouTube video, you know, you think of it being filled with dirt and you think of it being filled with earth. Mm -mm. I'm very much into frequency and it's, it mm. shifts the energy almost mm. instantaneously. And I know you've been on your spiritual path for quite some time, but was there a, also a spiritual process for you in building this particular project? And how would you describe that to our listeners? Hmm. I mean, I think there's a spiritual process in all of it. So I guess, right. <laughs> I guess right. there was for sure. I never necessarily asked myself that question, um, which you got me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can come back to it or on our next interview. We can bring that no, up. No, no, no. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Just give me a second. All right. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a spiritual element to it. And I think the most spiritual part I got out of it was actually coming together and, um, you know, kind of co-creating it with people and seeing how that empowered them. Mm. And um, it just made me feel like I'm really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I'm really, I'm really on my path. If this is the effects of the things that, that we're doing you know it's really really nice because you know like we talk so much about we're going to change the world um but to just affect one family you know and yeah. um, just to see them feel emboldened and and, and there it's like so when are we going to america to build you know, kind of, <laughs> really, yeah. well and that's kind of 
Part of you're talking about how this construction is becoming like a permaculture training center. And I know that that's part of your vision. And you've kind of been putting this together in your new mission statement and also with the concept of the seed training center. Do you want to talk a little bit, expand upon that a little bit more? Because I know that's an important part of your message going forward now as things have blossomed even more than last time we spoke. The training center has always been kind of part of what Haven Earth Center was about, really, and what is about for me is that, you know, we, we need to empower people. I think my experiences in Russia and just over the last year, and I've been kind of remaining open, also maybe you could call it procrastination, but um, is exactly defining what Haven Earth is, actually, because it's unfolding. It, it's a journey that I'm, I feel like I'm a participant in, in a lot of respects. But the But the training center is kind of unfolding more and more, and in some ways, it's quite synchronistic because it is very much how I felt or how I was guided to see this in terms of put a lot of money and just build all kinds of ecological energy efficient structures for everybody and, and all this kind of stuff. But is that solving the problem? The problem is kind of more systemic to how we kind of believe about society and about the planet and how we just consume out of the disconnection we have. and. I think it just became more and more obvious that the training element and giving that back to the people was, was key. Mm-hmm. And that also is part of defining what a community will be, actually. Because one thing, even with this project in Russia, you do big designs for like, I went to South Africa for a few weeks at the end of the year. And Losha and I worked on the design for a master plan for this community in Russia, like a couple of hundred hectares, the, just the beginning of it. You know, and then he goes to Russia and shows it to investors and that come forward. The problem is, is, it's like the biggest challenge that we've ever had, really, because we're trying to redefine how we're going to live, right? It's not mm-hmm. just building someone a house and they're still living in the regular system. Right. We're asking people to have faith in us that, we you know, we're going to, we know the right way to do this. I think in some ways we don't actually know what the right way to do this is. All we can do is kind of best understand how not to do it <laughs> from, <laughs> from the mistakes of others. Right. That's definitely a good starting point. And I think this is why the training center has become a stronger, stronger element and why it's taken on the title of seed center, because the creation of a community is just such a big process, especially if it's a big one, that it can take so long to even start. Mm. But I think the training center is the seed that you can plant that an investor can say, okay, this is this kind of unique, its own entity. It's part of the community, but it's also very much uh, something else as well. Hence why it's called Seed. And it's about stewardship, ecology, education and design. Because we're consciously, intelligently going to design how we want to move into the future. We're not going to do it out of ignorance and we're not going to do it out of wishful thinking. Also, we're not going to do it from kumbayaring. We're going to do it intellectually. Mm -hmm. And understand we have a brain for a reason, not just for being controlled, but also for creating and manifesting things into reality. And I think that's part of my own journey is remaining in a place of kind of mastering doing yourself a bit. So you're not a victim to the mind and not to say that we all aren't, that it doesn't affect us. And definitely I still struggle, especially being on the road and a lot and traveling and never having a home or a base for a long time now. Right. Well, that seed <laughs> training center, as you said, I'm going to read what yeah. you wrote, stewardship, education, and ecological design. 
yeah. both a physical and virtual education training center, bringing together the tools, techniques, skills, and knowledge for the purpose of transitioning to an earth-centric model of community living based on organic and healthy lifestyles, natural regenerative land practices, holistic principles of design and development. And when we talk about on this show about ascension, mm -hmm. it's truly also about the environment we hold ourselves in and how we create that symbiotic relationship with our environment. And so the beauty of what you're doing, and I love, I want to kind of reiterate this for those listening. You know, we originally spoke back in August about this workshop that you were attempting to put on to have people learn how to do hands-on on the project in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And that workshop concept itself didn't blossom, but you didn't let that get you discouraged. Sure, there might have been some disappointment, but for everyone on the Ascension path, it's mm -hmm. important to understand that the road might weave a little bit, branches mm -hmm. might go off in other directions to truly help us come to why we're here. Yeah. And so there is no such thing as a failure. It's just kind of a recalibration. And I think if you look at where you're at now versus where you were in August, you know, just mm -hmm. a few short months ago, the people you've connected with internationally, the collaboration we're going to talk about in a minute with people from all over the planet, and mm -hmm. that unfolding is the bigger picture, yeah. getting the message out to more people, inviting more people to truly surround themselves in an environment that sustains their frequency while honoring the earth. So if you look back at some of your stumbling blocks and where you are now, I think for the listeners to hear that there's sometimes, yes, there might be frustration, but to keep following the heart and following the signs. Yeah, well said. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, so true. I mean, you know, and I think what really helps actually is feeling connection to your purpose. I think, you know, the years of my life when I wasn't connected to my purpose, it was kind of the whisper of my own insecurities and by mm -hmm. society and expected whatever. The shoulds. Yeah, so much. The making use of the college degree, the master's degree. <laughs> and having been a father to four kids. You know. Right, right, right. <laughs> And yeah. so some of the things that began opening up for you, you went to Russia, so things are happening there. What would you like to share with the listeners about the gems that have come out of this journey for you since August? I think what you said is pretty much one of the biggest lessons from it, actually, to kind of let go of expectation as much as physically possible and mentally possible, obviously. Well, more mental, I guess, than physical. And, you know, really trust that there is no failure really in just in general terms of my own personal story and successes or what failures i think that it's part of the journey it's like sharpening the tool you know you can't sharpen a tool on a soft cloth you need a hard surface to whack it against it's gonna be a noise and kind of painful you know it's like any good purging or cleansing or refining of something there's an alchemical process that isn't always necessarily what we might want it to be you know but I'm just really appreciative of seeing more and more. And as long as you don't let that, um, like you said, derail you and pull you down into a negative place of self-criticism and self-doubt and judgment and all of that story, which, of course, it comes. Right. But just understanding that it's not the thing that's dictating your life. It's just something that's going to be there. And uh, you should just get actually used to it, actually. And you know, come when it comes, then go into a space where you can be with it. 
and uh, not have to like run away from it and hide from it, but just be with it as much as you can and then appreciate it for what it is and what that experience was and the gift that I learned from why that workshop didn't work and what was more important about what I was doing. Exactly. And I really came to understand as well that caring about what you're doing, like really caring, like it's your own, like it's like that's my house. Mm. You know, like my family are going to live in that house. My kids are going to sleep in that house. So, you, you know, you want to put that attention and love into the things that you do. Both Jenkins and I, and he's very much like that in a different way, but like trusting. He calls it luck, good luck. <laughs> he's starting to meditate, though. Like, oh, great. Well done. Well done. But, you know, he was like that as well. It's like yeah. we just cared. We just put our hearts in it. We go home after the project, you know, in the evenings. And uh, we'd sit and on the, the computer or doing some things we, just to figure some stuff out, get materials, go visit this guy or that person to organize some materials or something. And we were just totally in, in it, you know, fully, 100%. And it, and it was great because it's short enough that you can kind of give yourself to the process. And whereas if it's a year long to build a house, right. you know, by the end of it, you hate the builder. He lied to you so much. He told you it was going to be finished after six months and right. you know, 12 months and it was going to cost this much and it's really this much. And I didn't get paid to do that project. So there was also another element to it that I was doing it just out of pure love, you know, like mm. that. It was such a blessing, really. And I'm so happy to do it and just feel alive when you're doing it. You're connecting with the earth. Yeah. You really are, you know, you're making this structure that is literally grounding itself into the earth it's mm. becoming part of that energy field you can sense it you can feel it and people from the village have never seen anything like this you know yeah, like, i bet <laughs> what is this they come past with their goats or their cows Belgium, you know gets a couple of million visitors in the right. summer it's a beautiful right. coastal little port and um, but this is maybe 45 minutes drive into the kind of mountain area and it's very Beautiful. nice you know wild olive trees everywhere and stunning yeah. and so, you know you say that although you didn't get paid in currency mm -hmm. for this i look at this as also when we understand that in this lifetime our mystery school is our day-to-day -day life mm. and this was a powerful mystery school initiation for you mm -hmm. in many ways in the lead up in the rethinking it from the workshop and then the redoing the project based on the guidance you got in that fire, you know, massage or the fire <laughs> initiation, and then what's blossomed out of it. So we're yeah. looking in a short time, such an acceleration for you on your mission and your path, where there are times you could have said, oh, it's not working and right. walked away. And you followed your heart to the point where you have now made that great leap of faith in walking away from the 3D corporate life into fully investing in what the universe had brought to you. And some of this is this amazing collaboration mm. with other people who have water treatment skills, ecological skills, many other things. So would you talk a little bit about where this collaboration is going and the people that you've met and what this means for Haven Earth and the umbrella organization going forward? I think it's probably another one of the very strong points about this is there's a coming together in this movement right now, I think, and and maybe in many different parts of society that it's starting to come, people are starting to realize the power of collaboration yeah. and the power of doing something for a bigger purpose beyond just kind of being a successful business person or having a successful business. And being uh, unhappy in the soul. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think kind of like illusion, the veil is lifting and right. uh, or getting very thin. 
whether people are aware of it or not, I think there's just a much more sense of we do need each other and we're all at risk here. If one's at risk, then we're all at risk. And I think it's that kind of understanding starting to come. And and it was just so nice to see that with connecting firstly with Alosha, who you already know about. Just kind of fill the listeners in in case this is the first time. I recommend that they go back and listen to the August 9th. It's in the archives on BBS Radio. But just briefly, because Alosha is playing a key part in this with you. Definitely. No, Alosha, after kind of my awakening in the end of 2017, I connected with him just synchronistically. He was in South Africa. And then uh, I ended up going to a workshop he did on Super Adobe in February last year. And uh, I met him and a few other people who we just like clicked. I met a lot of people in that workshop. And that, that's a really special thing about workshops, just the coming together of minds and hearts. And so but, family. Uh, yeah, yeah, really. A healing experience, you know. Who would think building a, a home would be a healing experience? But And Alosha's website is? www.vida.co. And yeah, he's spent a lot of time working on his property in Johannesburg. I think it's not even one acre. Turning it into like a food forest using permaculture design and a lot of DIY structures and uh, like water treatment things. And so he's created like the online courses and everything. And it just really fits. We resonated like straight away when we met. I I think you were brothers in other lifetimes or you were very connected energetically. Yeah, exactly. So like that's been developing a lot. He's got Russian descent, so he wants to get back to Russia, obviously. And so he's there now, right now, actually. And so kind of that grew in us going to Russia and kind of fulfilling what his dream is, is about setting up a settlement community in Russia and just feeling really honored to get brought into that whole thing in terms of I'm an outsider in Russia. I was part of that big government conference in earlier in the year of uh, Sustainable Cities of the Future, just feeling like wow, this is really nice to be respected and to be able to get on a similar wavelength with people, even though a lang- huge language barrier. And then obviously a lot of collaboration going on there, but mostly that's kind of a luscious side because he's dealing more with the Russian side of things. But we're definitely, you know, doing stuff together, working on designs and collaboration, co-opting together, like filling in the other parts of each other's puzzle in a way to provide a more robust service to people and to be able to solve this or at least come up with more solutions that are more viable. And then, you know, um, I headed over to Switzerland recently and, well, 2019 just kind of started off like with a boom, you know, it it was... It seems like all of the work and all of the staying on track in 2018 and just I think when that astrological elements changed and it just opened, it seemed to open up a lot. And then the U.S. thing started happening and then that pulled me over to Switzerland where Tony, I met at the workshop at Alosha's earlier in last year. We'd been in contact still. He'd been working for the hemp company in Switzerland. So then we got pulled together by this project in L.A. who are dealing, you know, doing some stuff for homelessness there in the colleges and trying to run programs to teach kids about hemp and construction. And so I got pulled into that and we started working on that. Now I was just talking with them today. We're going to start a collaboration. They're creating a larger organization. Like in I'm going to... Switzerland or in Los Angeles or international? International, actually, right. yeah. Because they really have some great advancements in hemp technologies mm. that set it aside from a lot of what's getting built now with hemp. You were mentioning the elder gentleman when you and I talked before this interview, the elder gentleman yeah. that you met that been in hemp and he taught you quite a bit. Yeah, Jorgen Hempel. I love it. His last name's Hempel and he deals yeah, exactly. with him. Yeah, I don't think you can write that, right? Tell a little bit of his story. Yeah, well, I, I went out there. I just came back last week, actually, but I stayed at their place in Switzerland, not far from Geneva. 
He's had a company called Hemp Ecosystems for about, well, 25 years, whether the, the it's been called Hemp Ecosystems for 25 years, I'm not sure, but he's basically been in the hemp industry for 25 years. He came from a family of big business, big industry, actually. They had castles in France and all kinds of stuff. He had a big paint organized company. And I think back in the hippie days of the 70s, he decided to get away from that and got into building restoration. And uh, he was working on restoration of like old castles and stuff in France because they had big issues with moisture, like most buildings do in moist climate. The issue is moisture. So they were looking for something natural that they could fix these castles with. Obviously, they don't want to cover the wall with concrete. It just misses the whole point, right? Exactly. So one day, a weird guy, he said, came up to him and says the handful of uh, something in his in his hand, like of weeds or something. He was like, this is the building material of the future. And Jürgen was like, you know, obviously, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? The guy showed him, uh, opened the plant and showed them this core of the, the hemp plant. And it has this, um, what they call the, the husk in the middle. But it's very fibrous and it has lots of tiny, 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 tiny pockets of air. All these like little cell structure. And then so Jürgen started getting into this hemp. So they were mixing it with lime because lime being a good binder, obviously lime that's heated up very high is, becomes Portland cement. But they were using something called hydraulic lime, which is not as highly, you know, high temperature as Portland cement, but still it gets hard pretty quick. And it would get hard, I think, like uh, within a couple of days. But there's something about it he didn't like because it, it kind of made the, the hemp itself quite inert, like right. not not living. And so he wanted to find the best way to make that as natural as possible. And his his background, you know, chemicals and corrosion and all these different stuff, he studied, he went, he kind of studied about how the Romans built and how their structures lasted that so long and et cetera, et cetera. And he found out that they were adding something to the hydrated lime which is not hydraulic lime, hydrated, which is basically lime, which is just moderately heated enough. The problem with hydrated lime is it takes months to dry. So like if you build something, you know, it's not really feasible. So he studied and found out what what the Romans were putting in. And he basically created this compound powder, which is a mix, kind of like grandma's secret recipe. You You basically add that to this hydrated lime and the hemp. And then within, you know, a few hours it's dry kind of enough that you can take the forms off and then within a couple of days it's dry enough that you can go and start working in the house and then i think like a couple of weeks and it's fully dried mm-hmm. and then you can like render it or something like that the walls remain breathing they remain live so they actually take the pollutants out of the air they take the carbon they kind of diffuse or any imbalances and and regulate the moisture in the air as well so it's like, wow, this is a really... It's a living structure. It's a breathing yeah, structure. It's... A self-modulating yeah. structure. Exactly. And it's a natural product. So it fits into the natural building category. Uh, but the, the thing with natural building, it can be a little bit purist unless it's literally the earth under my feet and I sculpt it together somehow, then it's not a natural building. I'm more looking for solutions. If the home's healthy... If it's not, doesn't go through this big manufacturing process, like all, if it ticks all these boxes and it's resilient and it's going to last and it's, and it can affordable to me, that all ticks all the boxes that we're looking for, right? You can go live in a hut in the woods. There's many options. And, but you know, like we need many solutions. And I think that's what's coming out is that, you know, we can create communities 
theoretically, right? We can create communities in more nature settings or outside of any real urban areas or built up areas. But, you know, what about the people in the city? What about the people who just got to be there? Kids are in college, they've got jobs, lots of different Those things. Those without homes? <laughs> Those without homes. Yeah, exactly. There's, you know, we're not all in that position to be able to go get some land and do this. And so and how think- do you compare this hemp lime mix mm-hmm. to super adobe? I, I'm going to admit my ignorance. How do you compare the two? Are they two totally different things? Are they synergistic? I think they can work together, mm-hmm. like as elements in, in one building. Something we're working on at the minute is oh, yeah. kind of a secret I can't really share yet until we bring it out and stuff, which is planning in the next couple of weeks. Right. Um, but it's to do with hemp. And it's to do with homelessness and it's to do with housing. So, well, and, and also it's to do with skill building for, yeah, for this, this talking is... about this Los Angeles or the, your venture. You're coming to the United States um, in, yeah. in literally next weekend. You'll be here. I think Alosha might be here a little bit sooner. So can you talk a little bit about this tour and what your intention is? And then we're going to actually have you and Alosha and some of the others on air once you're in the States, but can you speak a little bit of what's planned so far? I know it's unfolding. It's very organic and unfolding as we speak. The original call was to come to California um, with this training program. You mentioned the yeah. international program with a gentleman from Switzerland. What are you excited about with that project? What would you like to share with the listeners? Yeah, exactly. Just to tie it in with your show, really, actually. <laughs> I went to Alosha's in December to work on this design for the Russian project. And while we were together, we, we, we just it was like, okay, it's time. We should go to the States. Like I had the following for Haven Earth growing a lot on Instagram and mm-hmm. a lot of people who comment and have, have mentioned they're from the U.S. When are you coming to the U.S.? Maybe do a workshop or something. And so we were like, okay, let's go, you know, like, let's, let's pick a month and let's go. So we just said, okay, we're going to go in February. He's got a workshop in Nepal in March and I've got one in South Africa at the end of March. Right. So we decided February. We weren't quite sure exactly, but we knew the West Coast. And I got a New Mexico on a project there now since from the Turkey project, I've got a project in New Mexico now to build a super dope house. And then we kind of, that was it. Then this guy from California got in touch, running this program in the colleges and I heard you were working with hemp, and I hadn't even gone to Switzerland by that time. <laughs> I hadn't even mentioned hemp about uh, running these programs in the colleges to teach these architectural building students, not university degree, but like kind of more vocational college. Yeah, perfect. So they can basically be like have apprentices, basically. So you can have a workforce and they get paid, they learn. So they're planning to do this and tie it into some money that's come around in California to do um rehousing homeless especially in LA because it's like epidemic and then we got people a couple of people from paradise contacted once heard that we we're going uh, talking about paradise california which was the home of bbs radio that was devastated yes. by the fire and i just found it fascinating that you've been contacted by people from paradise just as an intro to that yeah exactly a small world for sure mm. but I don't want to talk too much about that because I don't want to use anything as a platform, especially people's uh, people's own misfortune. Right. You know, if we can do something there, would love to. There's one the woman she wants to use hemp to put in um, in her new home she's getting, but you know, there's a big cleanup operation there. It's going to take months and months and months. Yeah, so. the paperwork to be rocked. We were planning to go there and do like a mini little workshop next month to just build like a little super adobe on her land and create a little temple maybe or something in honor of the people who've lost so much. Right. You know, and the people who've lost their lives. 
and we're hoping to do some talks there. Fernando Vosa may be joining us as well for some talks about his uh, healing architecture school and uh, healing center. So I think we'll be there probably about four or five days in LA from the probably the 12th to about the 17th. Alosha, I know, wants to pop to San Diego for a day. And then I'm setting up somewhere in Tucson, Arizona, I think around the 20th. And then from from there, I think we're going to go to Taos. I'm going to go visit the land of the project, which is on western New Mexico, and then hopefully set up something in Taos for some talks. We've still got to find a car. If anybody knows of any good good cars for $5,000, please let me know. <laughs> Actually, I'll give you my number. Yeah, this is a soft tour, so right. it's coming to make friends, you know, like... Right. <laughs> This collaboration it's really exciting how letting go of the fear of stuff it's such a challenge yeah. really it's such a challenge to transform that into a trust relationship where you're kind of going into ventures you're sharing your creativity your ideas your knowledge all kind of openly and, and with the aim that it's going to be achieved in in the best possible way to make the best thing out of it and i think coming back probably around may time we want to do some workshops. I think yes. that's key. Yeah. Guy actually in Tucson, he's really interested to do a workshop on his land. As always, Paul, it's such a joy to chat with you and to get caught up on what you're doing and just the passion in your heart. And, I, and again, listeners, I'd like you to take to your own hearts just a lot of the insights that Paul has shared that we've talked about today, not only about sustainable living and community, but truly understanding that living your purpose is a path that has a few speed bumps, but it's really important to keep following your heart. And when you doubt, turn it over to source, surrender it. The coming together of people who hear you speak and it awakens a flame within them for wanting to be a part of this, whether it's coming to workshop, whether you have skills to contribute, whether you have connections with radio shows or other places to get the message out. If anyone that's listening to this is motivated by that. Been working on um, a landing page for the tour because it is very ad hoc. And we've set up a form there where people can fill in if they can help, what they can help with. Fantastic. And which location they would be interested to, you know, have a talk in their town mm-hmm. or something like that. And this is how it's unfolding. We're getting a lot of people come back, offering help. I want to come or, you know, I have contacts in the radio or I know I have a, a place you can sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All beautiful things. Because this is truly what bringing Soul Tribe together is all about. It's all yeah. about that. That flyer is at co forward slash USA dash and then tour. So bioveda.co forward slash USA dash tour. And I'll put that in the body too. So there's a link that people can connect. Up awesome. To. Yeah. It's just a so, good way people can come and maybe even they uh, will be still in the US, you know, through all of February. So, or um, maybe, you know, the next visit, right? Yeah, you're, you're also to, next, it, again, yeah. it's surrendering it to source as far as timing and locations and just know that it's going to unfold. But I'm so excited about this new level of your mission and you're sharing it with me and with the listeners and all of your heart and your guidance. So Paul, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show and we'll have you and Alosha on the show live from the tour. We'll get that information out as soon as we have those dates. So awesome. Namaste. Thank, thank you, you so much. It's a pleasure. <laughs> it's always a joy. Thank you, Paul. Mm-hmm.